Well, Mr. Rabbi, it is another bright, sunny morning here in Florida where we don't need our AC, our windows are open, your children are dancing around, loving the outdoors, in the pool is the pool that you have in your backyard, and it's another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi, brother. It's been, you know what, you know, Father Anderson, it's been great. You know, um, and for those that 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 are listening to us uh, around the world, you know, we, we, we've hit a cold streak. Um, you know, the last couple of days been really nice, as you said, not to use air conditioning, really have the breeze come in. Uh, I will say that my nine-year-old had said to me the other day, you know, Dad, um, you know, it's a shame that the schools don't close today uh, due to, and I said, due to what? And she said, because it's too cold. I said, it's 58 degrees. People in the Northeast would love to have 58 degrees, but my kids are a little spoiled. And I think my kids are, I think their blood has thinned out a little bit, but yeah. Uh, that's what you said. Back in my day, I would walk in Toronto. Mountains of snow in October. Yeah. So, uh, listen. We, today, um, you know, not everyone is feeling the freedom that your kids are of being able to get out and enjoy the beautiful weather and get some exercise. And you have three wonderful girls who get along with one another, and they have some camaraderie there. You know, at times. Um, but, uh, you know, there's others, though, who are really struggling right now because of the isolation, because of being sheltered, uh, things they can normally do that would help them just find the endorphins <laughs> to, 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 to get past uh, the, the, the temptations of depression and anxiety and the what ifs. Um, it, it's been a challenge. And even here in Martin County, for all of you listeners out there, we have seen a double um, and just uh, suicidal uh, attempts, uh, mental illness. We, we have a pandemic here. Uh, we've had an epidemic here of, we don't have enough mental health professionals um, to meet the needs. And when every time I try to get someone in my parish with a psychiatrist, it's like trying to search for the winning uh, Willy Wonka golden ticket. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard, right? I got to send them to like West Palm. So we're going to bring out today, Bob Zakiel from Project Lift, uh, just a wonderful human being, uh, man of God, CEO of Project Lift, who has figured out a way to say, let me uh, effectively work with at-risk youth. I'm not going to get him in the office and do psychotherapy because he's a psychotherapist. I'm going to find different ways where we're moving and grooving with print shops and automotives and fishing and he it's just he's he's gonna tell us all about that i think he just knocked on the zoom door uh mr bob is that you hey how's it going good to see you guys they just show up right there boom (laughs) all right so bob we're, we're we're excited for this um to have you and representing project lift here in martin county um are you ready to roll with the priest and the rabbi I'm ready. I'm ready. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. So today it's Bob Zakia. We're going to be talking about the pandemic within the pandemic, which pandemic is really the one that's really uh, the crushing blow. I think Bob's going to say the real pandemic is dealing with the mental illness and the uh, the rise in uh, suicidal tendencies and stuff. This is the real pandemic we need atten- we really need to uh, pay attention to. So don't you go anywhere. On this episode of A Priest and a Rabbi, subscribe right now, share it with your friends, leave a comment, even if you hate us, because it helps our analytics. Okay, bye-bye. from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. 
nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, grab your Bible or Torah, and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody out there in Stewart, Florida, and from around the world. This is Father Christian from a priest and a rabbi, but I am nothing without my right-hand man, the most handsome rabbi this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Chaim, the man with the beautiful hair, the nice fall sweater, and three gorgeous girls and a beautiful wife. We have no idea how he was able to swing her as his spouse, but we thank God every day for that. Rabbi Durbin, good morning. How are you, my brother? Uh, you know, you know, Father Anderson, it is so nice and so beautiful to be able to see your face. Your face is the most beautiful thing west of the River Thames. So if you're all not picking up on that, he is making an Anglican reference to the Church of England, which is I'm an Episcopal priest, uh, which came out of the Anglican Church, the Church of England, and of course, England. Uh, and so because my learned friend over here has much more experience with uh, England and also went to an Anglican school, um, there might be ways where the rabbi is even more versed than I am. But that's what makes us a priest and a rabbi. So welcome to the radio show here on 1450 AM. If you're tuning in for the podcast, um, if you're not aware of the podcast, you want to subscribe right now. Anywhere where you get a podcast, you can find us, a priest and a rabbi, and uh, we got always to a kicking on relevant topics. Uh, we don't like to talk about things from you know ages past or things that just make our ego feel good. We want to talk about what's hot, what's happening now, and look at it through a Judeo-Christian lens. Uh, so welcome to this madness today. Um, rabbi, uh, you know, a lot of the topics that we've it has not been a hard year for us to be able to find topics because every time you open up the newspaper, um, there's about 18 hot topics to jump into. Um, every to find day. Every single day, every day, maybe every half hour. Um, and, you know, there was an article, uh, I think it was last Wednesday, maybe, uh, in the TC Palm, just about the alarming rise um, in suicide attempts and in actually suicide just here, not even just in America. But right here in Martin County, St. Lucie County, uh, and uh, rates have doubled. And it was obviously it's a pandemic within the pandemic, uh, which is the title of the show today. Um, but I don't know if you saw that, but it was, uh, you know, obviously as, as clerics, <laughs> just it just rings out because that's that's right up our alleyway of of of, of looking at a community that is just uh, it's hurting and it, it it is hurting. Um, so I don't know about you, but uh, uh, how have you been on your end with just gauging your folks or friends of the temple uh, and how they're doing with anxiety, with depression, with just dealing with the pandemic? Uh, you know, it, it, I, I mean, I'm sure much like you, I mean, it's been very challenging, very challenging. I mean, you know, we, we outreach as best we can. We make phone calls. We, you know, try and let people know that, you know, you're not alone. Um, you know, we are here and we do care immensely and greatly for you. But, you know, it's, um, you know, I remember years ago uh, in my former community, we, um, I was asked by, by some of the local churches to give a, to give a talk. And uh, it was looking at some of the challenges that persisted within our community. And at that time, uh, I was in upstate New York. We had the largest, um, 
we had the largest amount of suicide that uh, had happened within a span of like four or five weeks. I think with seven or eight students in, in, in high schools had taken their own lives, largely due to bullying, largely due to all, all these other issues, um, all these challenges. Um, and it was tough. It was tough because my heart breaks. And, and especially now in a situation that we find ourselves in, which is not unique to Florida, uh, which is obviously global and international, um, but also says with lockdowns and with people distancing and people not feeling comfortable or or um, uh, ready yet to re-embrace the world, what's the what's the what's the effect? What's the side effect with it? Which is loneliness, which is depression, uh, which is uh, uh, feelings of inadequacy or feelings that nobody's around and who cares? Um, and I think that 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 presents, especially for us not only as Jews, but also as, as human beings, a great challenge in our own society to be able to say, how do we embrace and comfort those in our midst that are really struggling? And, and beyond embracing um, others, how do we find out? How do we know? I mean, is it the subtle language that we hear? Is it the word of mouth? Is it, is it the, 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 the um, um, you know, physical contact so that we're, we're aware, you know, how, how do we recognize the signs, I guess? Right, 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 right. And as always, we always want to bring in someone who is doing this work, who's on the front lines. And uh, today we're going to bring in a gentleman. Uh, and, I, and I don't use that term loosely. He is a gentleman, uh, but he, he carries a fierce stick of faith that guides him in the work that he does. Um, he is the CEO of Project Lift. So for all the locals out there listening, you're probably very familiar with this. And, um, and his name is Bob Zakiao. He, he was in the article that uh, I referenced earlier, uh, but all three of us in this radio show were uh, in the same room, probably more times than we, we know or are aware of. But one time was when we had the whole gun debate that was happening in our community. Uh, I think it was actually after Parkland, maybe. Um, and Bob Zakiao and Rabbi, you, you, you two were up on stage and I was just in the audience and I remember turning to my wife and I know I didn't know you yet, Rabbi, and being like, that guy, I want to get to know. But I remember both of you just giving, that was a tough, very challenging uh, time. And you two did extremely well of speaking uh, boldly and courageously and not worrying about what people would think after you said it. Just say, this is this is where my faith, this is where my, my where, I, where I feel like our society needs to go. But anyhow, Bob Zakiao. Well, because I still have a job. Yeah, exactly. And so does Bob. So uh, Bob Zacchio, uh, welcome to the show. You, you are the CEO of Project Lift. You work with at-risk teens. You have done incredible work, you and your team. Uh, and I know you're a man of faith, so I know you're led by um, a much bigger thing than just your own ego and drive. And uh, you have been really on the front lines and you've seen a lot of, um, you're very aware of the struggle of mental illness during this pandemic uh, and suicidal ideations that can come of this. So Right. It's great to have you on the show and to be commenting on this uh, on, on this very important topic. No, thank you for having me, uh, Rabbi Durbin. Um, you know, Father Christian, I I can't thank you guys enough for uh, for taking the opportunity to really kind of highlight this particular issue. And like I said in that article, um, I got to tell you, you know, I'm I'm looking at this uh, this pandemic. We looked at this since March. Obviously, everybody has, and you know, I call March 12th kind of the D Day. That was the day that everything changed. And it was the day that we woke up in the morning and things were fine. We were going to work. Uh, things were kind of normal. And by 3.30, everything had changed. Everything completely changed for everybody. Places were shutting down. Child care agencies were shutting down. Uh, businesses were closing. 
businesses, industry, um, and uh, childcare, and obviously school systems, we're all making these really, really tough decisions about basically saying, you know, we're gonna we're gonna shut off the social emotional connections that we really have with people, and we're gonna try to go into a platforms that we don't even know how to deal with, right? Um, you know, I, I think some of us across the country have been dealing in these platforms in a really long uh, for a really long time and understood them, but they weren't out there to the masses to be able to really distinguish exactly how we're going to do those things. So the way this all unfolded was really uh, quite uh, uh, quite impressive, not for nothing, um, but also at the same time it challenged leaders more than uh, more than they've ever been challenged before. I had one of my board members say to me uh, that day because I went to my board and I said, "Look, I, I'm not closing." Because I'm, you know, the bigger risk that we have here is kids are going to, you know, uh, commit suicide or have drug overdose, and I'm not willing to uh, to allow what what is for those kids for that population, 14 and 19, is a cold, you know, or it's, you know, and I don't I don't mean to minimize that in any way. I'm basically saying that's the symptoms that typically appear in that particular population. Um, we haven't lost any kids to uh, to or teenagers to um, to COVID um, in in our general area or what I know of, uh, but I can tell you right now I had seven suicide attempts. I had six drug overdoses in a very short amount of time. We got people jumping off the bridges. Two train uh, two issues with a train uh, that we had here just a couple months ago on the same day. Uh, this is a problem, and that's the real pandemic. And uh, and again. Being able to take a look at this through um, through a faith lens is probably the most important aspect that we can do at this point. Because a lot of times people were, everything was taken from them. Everything was taken, their day-to-day -day activities, uh, the normalcy of their of their jobs, the normalcy of their careers, their, I'm sorry, of their families, um, all gone. So what's normal then? Faith, right? What we know is God doesn't change. Right. God is 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 who he was then, is who he was now, is who he will be in the future. And I think that that's the lens that that I think is important, important for people to uh, to understand is that when we're taking a look at social emotional factors like depression and rabbi, I've heard you talk about it a number of times now, depression, anxiety, stress management, uh, even the attention deficit, hyperactivity issues that people have um, and the family functional issues, what's consistent um, and what can we always go back to? And that's our faith. So. Well, one thing too, I want to take a step back here because I didn't I do enough justice to this, is that Bob Zacchio, so he's CEO of Project Lift, which works with at-risk youth, uh, and he'll explain more of exactly how he approaches that in his work, because he has a great story, because the Bob first got into uh, uh, one of the vocations that Bob has is, is a psychotherapist, uh, and so I remember reading about you, Bob, where you were, you set up shop, you were a psychotherapist, you had an office, you're trying to meet with these teens, they're not talking, you're like, what's going on? Right. And some people might just grumble and be like, these kids won't talk. What I'm going to do. And you said, you know what? Uh, and tell me if I'm wrong about paraphrasing this. But but uh, you, you you kind of closed up shop at the office, opened up a new shop and said, look, I, these kids want to get out. They want to be active. They want to work with their hands. And that's where you really started Project Lift, where you're doing things like doing machinery and fixing bikes and creating right. shirts yeah. and fixing cars where kids will come out of the woodwork. And be like, I want to learn how to do that. And right. through that, you're finding rehabilitation. Uh, and people be, to be valued and loved. And you've seen a lot of healing for kids who normally the system would say, yeah, you're going one way and that's prison or, you know, down a deep, deep dark alley. You're saying, no, you're, 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 you're a prize from God. And, and I believe in you and let, let's just try a different way of getting to it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Is, you know, I, um, you know, a psychotherapist for the past 15 years and sitting in a clinical office and realizing that, 
um, than when you're sitting with a typical 16 year old boy, which that was kind of my specialty was working with teenage um, young men who were struggling with drugs and alcohol. And I was getting constantly dumped on with that amount of kids. So I worked in an office that had 35 therapists and then four of the therapists were male therapists in there. So what would happen is the female therapist would say, hey, look, I'm not getting anywhere with this 16, 17 year old boy. Um, can you please, you know, put him into your caseload and, and he needs a mentor, he needs a, you know, a father figure, he needs all these things. And I'm like, all right, look, I'm not their father, but I can help, you know, kind of, you know, guide in this way or do these things. And you know what the most common thing they said to me was, they don't talk. They, they was, uh, the female therapist would come to me and say, look, they don't talk in session. And I would say back to them, well, they're 16 year old boys. They, they don't talk. You know, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Right. Cause that's kind of how we are is that, is that we've got to try to figure out strategies in order to get them to get them to talk. And I would just explain to them too, like, look, I've dealt with um, the teenage girls in my caseloads as well. And the difference there is that when you say to a young lady, so how are you today? They actually just vomit out all their emotion and, you know, in 30 seconds, they'll tell you everything that they, that you could possibly want to know. And they'll tell you in that short amount of time, whereas a young man, you say, how are you today? And they say, fine. And that's it. So, both of those two things are, are ways of, of um, putting up uh, boundaries, right? So the way the young lady does it is through an, an exponentially huge amount of information that sends you down a trail, right? That sends the therapist down a trail. And the young man just says, fine, and shuts it down. You're not talking to me. I'm not, I'm not opening up, right? It's very two, two very distinct ways of uh, dealing with some sort of um, you know, uh, boundary issue or, or shutting that boundary down. And so what I decided to do one day, because I was very heavy on uh, the young men who were teenagers in my practice, um, was I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, just, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, this is very frustrating. Um, I'm not getting anywhere with them. Uh, we, we're wasting a lot of time and money, and it's valuable to people. So I brought a fishing rod to work with me one day. And I said, you know what, I'm going to teach this young man uh, that I'm working with. I really had no intention of doing any treatment um, with him. I was that frustrated. I brought a fishing rod in. I was just going to teach him how to tie a dry fly, which is a, a plastic bait on the end of a fly fishing rod. And so for a half hour, we really just sat there and didn't do much except tie this dry fly. And that young man then produced something that was um, that he had made on his own that he was very proud of. And I said, hey, you want to go out to the back of the building here and I'll teach you how to cast it into this pond. There was a there was like a retention pond back there. And um, so we go back there and, you know, we start, I start teaching him how to do it. He takes his first cast and drops the bait into the water. And literally, you know, as the bait's dropping into the water, the kid's telling me about his promiscuous mom and his drunk dad and all the anger that he felt. And I'm like thinking to myself, this is, we're onto something here. Outside the office is the way to do this. And I got to tell you, there's nothing unique about taking a kid fishing. And, you know, I'm sure, um, I'm sure. All of us on this call have done that before, but what I did next was, was unique. I called a buddy of mine who was an ASC certified mechanic and who also was in recovery. So he knew the, the, the processes of recovery. And I said to him, I said, Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you, um, would you teach the young men that I'm working with how to do automotive repair uh, while I do psychotherapy underneath the hood of a car? Mm -hmm. That was 10, uh, 11 years ago. We worked with 19 kids that first year. Uh, we just had that one trade, which was automotive repair. And uh, now here we are 11 years later, we work with over 400 kids a year. We have 11 different trades that we teach from HVAC to welding to uh, construction, all aspects of construction. 
We have a screen printing facility, um, which is, does some earned income opportunities for us, graphic arts, um, uh, you know, boat building, boat restoration. Bicycle. Yeah, bicycle, cycle repair. I have one of your bikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, we have a little cycle repair program, but, you know, uh, really what it comes down to is this very unique mix of how do we deal with mental health um, in the environment that we're going to be most commonly in, right, which is our work environment and in the industry. And unfortunately, we have taken a stance uh, across the country that um, we will only seek out therapy when things are just in the, in, you know, in, in, in a catastrophic fail, really, you know, like my wife's leaving me, my kids hate me, like that kind of thing. Oh, I need to go see somebody because it's my, my, my wife is saying, if you don't do this, I'm out of here, right? Or that, or that type of thing. Whereas we should be teaching this at 14, 15, 16 years old, how to deal with this in a work environment where we are 90% of the time, which does a lot of different things for industry. And it also does a lot of things for social, emotional uh, health. So that's Project Lift in a nutshell. Again, 400 kids a year. We have a couple of sites. We have a site in Western um, Palm Beach County in Belle Glade. And we have our, our flagship here in uh, Palm City, uh, Florida. And, and, and Bob, just, just for our, our, our listeners out there, you know, what propelled you to start this organization? Like why yeah. working with troubled youth or, or, you know, those that are struggling, you know, why that route as opposed to, I don't know, being a doctor or a lawyer? <laughs> you know what? I think it all goes, you know, I, I, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's de- degree in psychotherapy, clinical psychotherapy. And, and really, um, you know, it was a God thing for me more than anything. Um, I was working with, uh, with teens uh, in doing some uh, internships in my undergrad. I loved it. You know, it was really something fantastic for me. And um, I love pouring that time into them. And there was a, a couple stories in there that really um, that I don't necessarily have time to explain today. Uh, but they were catastrophic fails. And I w- was very disenfranchised with how the system was working. I just didn't know how to deal with it at that time, right? Um, my wife was a travel travel nurse um, back when we first got married. And um, we went out to California, Southern California, where, where uh, Father Christian is from. And um, my wife was working. And I started praying about what it is that um, God really wanted me to do. And I did some, some fasting and I did some, uh, a lot of heavy prayer and God said, you know, we need to know more about what it is that the kids are dealing with. Right. So it wasn't one of the fails that we had, that I had in, um, in, uh, when I was working in Philadelphia, some of the internships I was doing, which is where I went to college, grew up here in Martin County, uh, uh, raised here. But the bottom line was we lost a kid to a a drive-by shooting that I was, working with. And the problem was that it was, I was doing like a reading as fundamental. It was just a family thing, you know, with that with that family, this kid had nothing to do with whatever was going on with those gangs. It was just a random shot that went through the window. And I said to myself, that's not the kid I'm necessarily terribly interested in. I'm not terribly, I'm, I'm interested in the kid that pulled the trigger more than anything. That's what interested me. And that's what piqued my interest. And that's where the prayer brought me back to when I was in Southern California. We immediately moved back to um, uh, God said, you know, you need to do this. You need to know more about what's going on in these kids' lives. And that's through psychotherapy more than anything is understanding social emotionally how people um, how people uh, evolve and learn. Went back to um, uh, to graduate school at Florida Atlantic University. 
and I knew that I was going to be doing this. This was not, this was ordained. Uh, the Lord said, this is what you're going to be doing. And we're going to be using a different way into a kid's life than what you would typically, uh, typically see. It's not just about giving tools to a kid that has depression. You can, you can give, so let's say you got a kid that's using drugs or dealing drugs. You can take that away from him. as a therapist. You can sit in and do psychotherapy with a kid and say, look, I'm going to give you tools to deal with this. We're going to give you tools to deal with family functional issues. They leave, right? They don't have something to replace the negative behavior with. They just have the right. tool in the pocket to be able to understand it. They don't have a tool to replace the behavior. So guess what happens? The original behavior gets worse, right? Because we didn't replace it with something else. And that's what Project Lift does very effectively. Seventy percent of our country doesn't have a college degree. The kids are the, the kids of today are not learning. Uh, job skills, job trades, job readiness, um, employability. You're not learning those things in school. It's gone. Uh, the uh, construction programs, the auto programs are are at best a shell of what they used to be when we were kids. And if they're even existing and the CTEs are too thinned at this point, they've, sent, they've thinned out what a CTE or career technical education is. So the replacement behavior isn't even there anymore. So those kids that we saw in auto programs that were behavior problems or what, you know, that, that kind of, they, they went into the auto program, you know, they were leaving there with $50,000 a year scholarships to NASCAR. And whereas, you know, my friends were leaving, going to college with, you know, $120,000 in debt uh, by the time they were done. Sorry about my phone ringing. In the back. Hey man, you're a busy guy, man. Project Lift is blown up. So that's kind of it is the, the, the entire principle of Project Lift has to do with resilience and it has to do with replacement behavior. If we are not replacing that behavior with something else and, and giving them a tangible tool to deal with, that they're proud of, that they have dignity uh, that they respect <coughs> with, then everything, it's not ever going to get any better. So, all right. So now what are you all facing? Because everyone, I mean, our context is Florida, so our state can shut down. So that's given you some advantages uh, as, an, as, as an organization to make some choices and decisions that some others in the country have not been able to. But you've seen other organizations in Florida make different decisions and shut down as well. Yes, I have. So yeah. for you, what is it uh, you've seen your own youth that you've been working with? Uh, have you seen them struggle, even though you your doors have been open? And what has that even been like to try to balance being responsible uh, with all the pandemic stuff of COVID, but then also at the same time knowing that you need to have high touch, hands-on relational community with, 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 right. with your kids. How, how have you found that balance? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. It started with our board of directors, you know, hey, <laughs> drop the mic. That was a great question. You know, no, there's, um, there's all, I mean, it started with our board of directors. I went to them first and I said, you know, I exactly what I said at the beginning of the show is that you know, we're not willing to risk this. The real pandemic is 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 this part of it. And they agreed with that. Um, but then then we took it a step further and we said we need to support our staff because a lot of staff, um, uh, the staff of, that we have and uh, the staff across the country got very scared. The anxiety levels just went boom right through the roof. Right. I'm going the message that the media was sending was that you get this uh, virus, you are going to die. Like that's not that's there was no middle line in there. And that's what was that's what was driving a lot of the fears. So I had to support our staff in a way that was much different. Right. So that meant um, that we needed to put uh, strict CDC protocols in place. So right away, I started following the, the strictest guidelines that I could find in the country. Ironically, it came out of the dentistry um, world. Right. So out of policy and, and procedure through dentistry. And then it started coming out of CDC and some of these other places. And then Miami, I started following Miami-Dade. 
Miami-Dade really ran a strict uh, protocol down there. So I took that, implemented it way before anything um, came down the pipe in our county, way before even the state started implementing anything. I said, we are going to wear masks. We're going to socially distance. We're going to um, have clean hands and clean surfaces. I then implemented, I put our staff in charge with making sure that all those things happen. And then I incentivized everybody's job uh, through cleanliness, masks, clean hands, and obviously social distancing. And it worked, right? It cost us a little extra money right up front to be able to do that. But it also sent a very strong signal to my staff that we cared, that we cared deeply and that we were going to make sure that they were okay, that nobody lost their job. I did not lose one employee during this entire time. Uh, so that, that is a real testimony to, to what we have. We have 54 employees at Project Lift. So the, the bottom line is that we could have easily lost people to, to this part. But what it showed was that as, as leaders of our organizations, again, being challenged deeply, is that um, we needed to care deeply about our, about our staff first in order to be able to care about the kids. And you put your own uh, masks on first. So you got to put your own masks on first. If you're, and I'll tell you what, the kids complied to it. It took one day. Um, it was harder for the staff to be compliant to it than it was the kids. Um, certainly, um, we went from seeing 40 kids a day to over, now we're at 87 a day uh, through here right now. Um, we've had zero cases of COVID amongst our kids. Um, we've, had, um, we've had two staff. That, uh, that have had it. Um, fortunately though, they were both, and this is, I think is a God thing. They were both on vacation uh, for the entire week prior to the diagnosis. And then we were able to handle what we needed to handle with them. It was, I mean, it was a God, it was a total God thing. I can't say that that wasn't uh, for sure, but, um, but we've been able to manage it really well. And I got to tell you that mask is, you know, if, um, you know, if there was a, if there was a cure, great. You know, if there was a, a vaccine, great. But that mask does a great job. You know, you wear that mask and you can handle a lot of different things. Now it's about securing everybody else and making sure that we can do what we're doing. A lot of organizations that were in the same position we were shut down. They just said, we're not in, right? And to me, I'm not saying that that's poor leadership in any way. I think it's decisions you got to make uh, based on the, on the circumstances you're in. But it really, a lot of the organizations that did shut down put businesses and industry and parents in really bad positions. Um, some of the ones, yeah, obviously I'm talking in the nonprofit, nonprofit world is that, you know, it, it really put a damper on what it is that we're going to be able to do to, to keep the economy, um, moving forward. Uh, we didn't take that stance and here we are sitting, you know, December, what, December 4th and, and we're, uh, we've hired 13 additional staff. We're getting ready to purchase an additional 13,000 square feet of, of space. Um, we're. Uh, we're just growing exponentially because we we embraced those platforms that were out there and said, all right, we're going to do this a little bit differently. That uh, to to address the the hands-on, high-touch you know nature of what we do is that that's what the additional space is. We've got to spread spread this out a little bit better so that we can make sure that um, we're doing exactly what we said we would do, which is make sure everybody's safe. And we did it. We did it at a very effective level. Um, and, uh, we're seeing, uh, we're, we're seeing the, the returns on it now. All right. So, so what we got, uh, we're going to take a, a brief break here to, to catch a breather and hear from the people who make this all uh, possible. But when we come back, um, you, you have, it's what, what I'm hearing is you've been able to continue to be with these kids through this rough time where normally they might feel isolation. Yeah. Um, but I want to know what your guidance is for the rest of us who are in situations 
uh, where, uh, whether it's churches, synagogues, institutions, families, where parents out there, just knowing that my kids, I know I got family in Illinois yeah. and that whole state is shut down basically. And their kids are not being able to do the things they do. And also it's freezing outside. Um, yeah. You know, how do you approach that? So your kids, if they were inclined to maybe have some depressive type notions now, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, there's some gas that's put on the fire. So I'd love to hear your take on that. And also other struggles maybe you've had during this time of the pandemic with your youth and how you've approached it. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, catch a breather, and when we come back, we'll be back with uh, Bob Zacchio of Project Lift here on A Priest and a Rabbi. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Priest and a Rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe, and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast if you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU 1450. Dot com And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian, and you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode, and it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter is about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, so now we are back, and we're back here. 
Bob Zacchio. In the first half of the show, what we heard was that Bob Zacchio is from Project Lift, who works with at-risk youth. Um, he introduces them to a way of saying, let's not just get inside a psychotherapy room and let me hear about your feelings, because you as a young boy at 16, you ain't going to tell me jack. But if I give you a fishing pole or I bring you under the hood of a car and we're going to start working on a transmission, all of a sudden you open up and talk about your abusive parents, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever it is uh, uh, you're struggling with. Bob Zacchio is on the show today because he has so much to bring to this conversation as we see this alarming rate of suicide, this alarming rate of, of, of mental illness struggle, where people who normally can find distraction of being outside, being within community, as we all know, the show's all about community. Um, when you take away community, things can go south. Bob Zacchio has found a way to say, I'm not removing community. We're still going to keep on going strong. We're going to be safe about it. We're going to be masked. We're going to safe distance, but we ain't shutting down. Um, and with that, Bob, uh, as, we, as we continue now in the second half of the show, you have, have there still been struggles, though, because they might find an outlet at Project Lift, but they still got to go home and they yeah. still got to Cool. their school might be shut down or et cetera, et cetera. What has that been like for you and watching these kids who you're just like believing so much in, you've seen this progress yeah. and then you're like, ah, oh, there's, yeah. there's obstacles now. Yeah, no, you're talking about two very distinctly, you know, different, you know, populations, right? So for us as an agency, we saw the continuity, safety and security piece of that, right? So we have the kids that were still with Project Lift that stayed with Project Lift because we stayed open. And then we started adding kids into that into that fold pretty quickly that weren't that were still on that cusp of trying to understand whether or not there was a real problem that was emerging you know, in terms of how the family function was was acting. And then what we saw, and I think the issue that we probably need to address at a bigger level would be those kids that we increased in the August, September, October time, right? Because those are the ones that were out of school since March. Those were the ones that the problem started emerging inside of the family or there was arrests that happened and so on and so forth. And now we started to see this really significant difference between this population that we continued to serve that we already had. And then we, and the population of teens that were coming to us that had now been through six months of social isolation, right? And that's, I, it, uh, you know, Father Christian, you think that's probably the point where we need to, to address, right, is what's the differences? What can we do? How, what did we see that was a lot different? A um, lot higher levels of depression, um, a lot higher levels of, of anxiety. And I wouldn't say that we saw an up, up, uptick in, um, in drug use amongst the two, two different populations. Uh, because there, a lot of times it was there was social isolation that happened where they didn't have access to some of the things that they would typically have access to. Um, but we also saw uh, the big problem in there, right? There was twofold ways that we could look at this. One is when the school district shut down, um, they had uh, there were kids that were being bullied that had um, issues at school that this worked really well for, right? School closed down, their safe place was at home, right? Being safe inside the walls of their home was a uh, was a uh, was something that was very real in that direction, but more predominantly was that there was a family functional issue at home, and those kids that were once in school for for safety, now we're going back into that home where it was unsafe, right? Where the victim, persecutor, and rescuer triangle really uh, was prevalent, and that's where we saw a lot of the uptick in in issues. Was uh, we had families that. Uh, would be coming to us in panic, uh, kids that would be coming to us in panic, guidance counselors trying to get in contact with kids that couldn't get in contact with kids, and how do we deal with those uh, with those things? So 
the more intakes that we took in, the more prevalence of an anxiety disorder and uh, um, depressive disorders is, is, is what we saw the biggest uptick in. So whereas our, our biggest you know, diagnosis was a substance use issue, um, now it's kind of shifted more into a depression anxiety, which, you know, Rabbi, to your point, it's everybody. You know, this is the difference between, um, you know, a, a mental health issue and a mental illness, right? Uh, okay, so okay. Where, where we're really taking a look in there and saying, look, this person isn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, antisocial personality disorder or something of that nature. But what they are is they have an adjustment disorder related to depression, you know, related, they have an adjustment disorder and depression that's related to something that's changed in their life. So in order for us to deal with that, we have to understand what that change is, which I think we all basically have a good understanding of what that change is. And then we have to, you know, send it into, a, into another direction. Um, and that's the replacement behaviors that we see. Whereas at school, you have, you had athletics, you have, you know, band, you have, you know, all the related art stuff right, that kids right, are interested right. in. Um, you also had mental health counselors on site there that, right. that kids could go see at the drop of that. That's all gone. It's, it's all gone. You know, and if if it is there right now, it's at a very controlled level. Fans can't go to games. You can't go see your kids play sports. Right. This all wreaks havoc on a family function that you it is beyond belief. You know, um, and that's kind of you know that's that's the basis on which we are are operating on is saying, all right, what's the change that we've seen? I I don't know if you want to go into another direction on this, but we could talk about you know what is it that we need to look at as family members. Um, to understand, you know, what, um, you know, what the real problems are, and then what to do about it, because that's, well, a yeah, that's what we got. So yeah. let's, look, let's, let's just look at, yeah, the families out there that are struggling with this. And also, too, we'd love to have your advice on how can the rabbi and myself just yeah. approach it? We, we, we have folks at our congregation that we know that already were, like you said, like they, they, they're, they're, the, the temperature was already a little hot when it came right. to anxiety and depression, but there was all these other outlets that really allowed to keep things pretty chill, right? Um, and then you take away all those resources, you take away all those things that can really help distract. Um, so I, I guess the first thing is, let's start with the families. Um, if there's a mom or a dad or a brother or sister out here listening, um, what are the questions they can start asking themselves to start saying, how can I help my, my family member who's really struggling with this? Um, how can I recognize it, right? Yeah. I mean, in today's world of, you know, being virtual, of, of video games, of technology, right? I can retreat into my room. My family will have no idea what I'm doing and in some way becomes really challenging from a family perspective to recognize those telltale signs or to be able to say, look, my son, my daughter, my spouse, whatever it is, is, is struggling in some way. How do I recognize it so that I can help? And maybe I'm not here to fix it, but maybe I'm here to, to recognize so that I can give support to Project Lift to help me in my struggle with, you know, some of my family or members of my community that, that you know, are impacted. Yeah, I, I think number one as a family is you need to remember that that the teen, the teen, your teenagers, your eight-year-olds, your four-year-olds, five-year-olds, even zero to five in that range, they're going to see things through your lens, right? So the lens of the parent, right? It's it's just the 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 bottom line nature of it. So if you're struggling with your job, you're struggling with uh, your relationship and your you know partnership or whatever you got going on, 
that, and you're depressed about it, you're anxious about it, or how you deal with the world, right? So if I deal with the world through this lens of depression and, um, you know, because of, because of the way things are right now, I am locked in my own room and I am exhibiting major down moves that might be borderline bipolar disorder or whatever is, the, and that, that might be more of a, a mental illness issue, um, is that you got to remember your kids are watching, right? So number one, modeling the appropriate behavior is mm-hmm. the most important thing that you That's can do. Cool. You know, it's, it's, it's everything that we do at Project Lift is all modeling, right? It's like, our family functional dinner, right? We sit down, we eat a family style dinner together every single night. Actually, we do it two times a day. We do one at lunchtime and one at dinner time. We sit down, we sit meatloaf and mashed potatoes. We're not ordering pizza. You can get pizza from anywhere. The bottom line is we sit down and we model the appropriate family function, right? You can do that in your own home. Model the appropriate family function. Now, my dysfunction is different than your dysfunction and different from rabbi's dysfunction and so on. The bottom line here is Find out what works in your family, model it appropriately, and make it make it work. And remember that your kid is is viewing everything that you're doing uh, through your lens, right? So they're they're back behind your eyes and they're seeing the world the way that you see the world because you're presenting the world in that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have to you have to pay close attention to that and remember how you're how you're presenting the world to your child and allow that child then to make better decisions related to it. Now, teenagers obviously different than than um than eight-year-olds or you know i keep going back to my eight-year-old because i have an eight-year-old myself but if they're doing things differently they're um you know and it's it's a very hard time to tell because we're home a lot right and it's starting to loosen up a little bit more obviously with the decisions that the school districts are making with some are at, at school some are still virtual but it's a little bit more difficult to tell when a kid socially isolates right because that's kind of what we've been doing right is Hey, we just need you to isolate. I mean, imagine this message goes out across the country. Socially isolate. And then it's silent, right? It's like the world goes silent. So you have no idea what your medium or your normal line is anymore. So pay attention to the normal things, right? Is your kid spending an excessive amount of time on, on, game, on game consoles, right? Are they up all night long? Is their sleep pattern changed? Um, are they particularly irritable? Um, are they angry? Because a lot of times depression uh, shows itself as anger, right? So, um, you know, it's a hard, hard line to tell. Is there in there is, is this kid just having an anger issue, uh, an adjustment to that? Or is it real depression, anxiety, stress? Um, and then spend time with your, you know, st- spend time with your kid, you know, in, in ways that you typically wouldn't, right? Uh, go out, you know, if you can go out to eat, go out to eat. If you can afford to do some of those things, go out and do some of those things. Go walk on the beach, go take some family time and do do that together. But here's the, a, a, a number one for you is that regardless of this pandemic, your kid has lots of friends. They already have friends. They have, and, and the way that they do friends these days is so much different, Rabbi and, and Christian, than we've ever done it before. Um, is so much different, right? The the social media aspects of what they do is so completely outside of the box for a lot of us older people out there. Um, but they have friends and you know what? They need a parent. They need a parent. They need a parent who's strong, who understands some of the things that they're going through. They don't need more friends. You don't need to be your kid's friend these days, right? They have plenty of them. You need to be their parent, right? And being their parent makes means that you got to make tough decisions. Like, just because you didn't have a car growing up doesn't mean that your kid has to have a car when, when they're growing up, right? Just because you're, you didn't have these things when you were a kid doesn't mean 
that they don't have to have those things, that you just got to be a parent, right? You got to be a parent in a way that speaks to the, the day and age that we're in. And that means modeling the appropriate behavior at every opportunity that you get. And at the same time, making the tough decisions as a parent uh, that relate to the health and wellness of your child. All right. So what, how about for grown adults where, so every church and synagogue house of worship approaches this differently across the country. Um, I think here in Florida, I would say, you know, the advantage, I, I can't speak for, for you, Rabbi, but for us, there came a time where we just had to petition our bishop and just say, listen, we have parishioners who are on the front lines out there and everything else is open for them. And if the one place where they're going to be restored and refreshed by their God is not open, it's a disservice. And so we were able to finally get our doors open. And and, if, and, and like you said, there are ways to do this. This is not a complex virus, like just mask up, have this distance, you know, sanitize. So we did it. And it's been because we were losing so much of that high touch. We, 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 so much you hear on a Sunday or for you, Rabbi, on a Friday, uh, people will just open up at the door maybe and let you know that, hey, I got to go have coffee with that person, right? And and now, yeah, go to some place where it's outside, have some distance and just do it. But you got to keep the community alive. And a Zoom chat, sometimes it's not going to be enough for someone who's really, really struggling, right? Um, what's your advice to us as clerics as we're overseeing a different type of community where you see overseeing lots of families and we both have uh, sizable congregations so it's not like, you know, it's the same 60 people every Sunday or Friday. I mean, we, yeah. we have a lot of folks that can slip through the cracks. Um, what, what, what's your advice to us during this time as this continues on into 2021? Maybe some, some awareness we should keep, some thoughts we should do, some things just as leaders of, of communities to know that we are uh, not missing or really have our eyes and ears open to those who really could be struggling going on some paths that God forbid leads to uh, suicidal tendencies. Yeah, no, we, we, I, I think one of the most important things that we can do as congregations is make sure that we're honoring the, the boundary of our, uh, you know, of the people that we serve, you know, of God's people. Some of them are, you know, feel, uh, feel like they're in that spot that, Hey, God has me. I'm protected by God. Um, some are saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, um, I'm protected by the blood of Jesus. And that's, that is a very real um, moments in their minds that we really need to make sure that we're paying very, very close attention to, because there are moments in my mind, that's my belief system is that I have a protective uh, coat over me uh, that, uh, that I, and, and not ignorance, uh, but it's, it's a way of saying, you know, I'm not going to run around being afraid because I don't find anywhere in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, that says that we need to be running around afraid of anything of anything. I, I can't find it in there. I know that there's references to fear in terms of um, some sinful nature that's related to fear. And, but I also know that, that uh, I'm not going to let fear drive me because, because I have, I serve a great God and that's what's important. So you have a, a couple of different things going on inside your congregation. You have people that believe like that. And then you have also folks who are like, look, I, I believe I'm covered as well. However, I'm not going to you know, participate in this, this group meeting. Um, so we tried to handle that a bit different at our church in, in that we had a lot of small groups already started. Small groups then were able to make some decisions as to how they were going to isolate, you know, kind of do some social isolation and also do some um, social distancing. And uh, we made it all through Easter and, you know, the Passover times and all of those things by having a much smaller group that was a much healthy, uh, a very healthy minded uh, piece that allowed our pastor to come in and be able to um, uh, to work with us on kind of a, 
a micro level, which was really cool because you got this opportunity to really um, kind of uh, the pastors got an opportunity to really invest in a much smaller in a much smaller way, which is really, really neat to see. Um, secondly, is that I, I, there was a lot of churches in town that just said simply, sorry, we're not closing either. And we're not going to require masks and we're not going to require these things to happen. And and, you know, there was some, you know, some pushback that was talking about irresponsibility and some uh, some pushback that was like, amen, go for it. So you had both sides of the fences on on that piece. And what I can tell you is that the churches that that stayed um, the churches and temples, obviously, that has stayed in contact with the congregation, either on a micro level, like a pop up, you know, sort of, uh, you know, level, which I thought was a really neat concept was the the gig you know, hey, we've got this gig going on in this, and we live in a gig economy at this point too, is that I got this gig going on and that gig is a small group and that gig then has participation in this direction. And so so we saw a lot of successes in that area. And also not for nothing, we saw a lot of successes in the churches and temples that stayed open. You know, mm-hmm. they said, we're gonna, we're just gonna continue to to move forward in the direction that we that we did. And um, you know, I haven't heard a lot of negativity out of them, uh, but or at, out of that that style of moving forward. But uh, for the most part, is pay pay very close attention to those both two very distinct aspects of your of your congregation. One covered in God, two covered in God, but still wants to isolate a little bit and and be a little bit safer, and for good reasons. Some of them, you know, a lot of them have some good reasons. That would be elderly, you know, folks in the in their home or you know, you could be a carrier or you end up, you know, being a, you know, you have a 16 year old kid that doesn't show symptoms, but has COVID and then uh, passes it off to an elderly, um, uh, you know, relative. So let me give you an example. So I got, I have some elderly folks who uh, they definitely at a place where their vulnerable immune system in the eighties, they're in their eighties, they've had multiple operations. Uh, They're not going to feel comfortable with coming to church. Right. And I don't even think they're comfortable with people visiting them, but I know they need that high touch. And yeah. it, do I just kind of say, all right, a phone call? I'm just going to keep on calling you to check in because I know they need the community. It's just the two of them. Right. Yeah. Uh, and any, any, any other kind of like variation of that situation where they don't feel comfortable interacting with folks, but I, I know they can't be doing well just rolling. I mean, some couples can do that. They're fine. It's like they're on a farm in Wyoming all by themselves and they're fine yeah. with that. But for others, for most of us, we need community uh, unless we want to be a cloistered nun or monk. Most of us want to. Uh, is, is, do yeah. we just result to just trying to work the digital world as much as possible and say, let's jump on video chat by a lot of these older folks? It's going to sound terrible. Folks of certain generations are not as comfortable with that. So then it's yeah. just phone calls. And then do I try to push and say, hey, can I come over and maybe stand outside and yeah. from distance? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I, I think this is a, a great conversation uh, to have for sure. Um, you know, I think I told you uh, before, my father passed away in the middle of this. So um, August, uh, August 21st, or, you know, probably worst day of my, you know, worst day that I could ever remember. Uh, but also one of the most blessed days because I know my dad knew the Lord and I was, we were good. You know, we were really good in that way. Um, but at the same time, I started thinking to myself, goodness gracious, how am I going to handle a funeral? Like, how do we handle, you know, a celebration of life or whatever we're going to do? Because it does address this elderly piece, right? Which is my dad's 70 plus years old. All of his friends are 70, 80 years old, and they're all wanting to pay homage to, to my dad. But at the same time, I'm going, I got to try to figure out how to 
socially distanced this whole you know piece. Um, so what I did was I just went ahead and addressed it with the individuals that I knew needed to be there, that needed to um, be in touch. And I also, and what I discovered was that I got them to be to come because of the social emotional connectedness that was there, right? So we um, we did a very good job of socially distancing. We put up tents outside and we made sure that the whole thing was socially distanced. And I did actually a Zoom call for others. So if you felt uncomfortable, you could you could log on to Zoom, just like a church would do, you know. And and I I, I just, there's so many models out there that follow the, that we should follow just as a as a uh, society that that have to do with social connectedness. Anyways, I put that all together. And one of my, my aunt in particular, um, she was just, you know, incredibly uh, devastated by my pa dad passing away, but was extremely, extremely aware of the, the social isolation part. So she did it in that high level. Um, you know, what, what I discovered is that uh, because of the emotional connection I got with her, I made decisions and I said, look, you know, we're going to be together at some level here. Let's test out the water a little bit by here's here's a, here's a meal. You can do this with the elderly folks. And I'm going to bring a meal over. We've social, you know, we've made sure that it's nice and clean. We're going to bring a meal over for you to eat. I'm going to just say hi from this direction. And then you're going to realize that nobody died afterwards, right? Or that there, there was a good outcome. And that's how you, you destigmatize the process. It's a, um, it's a, uh, you, you have to systemically de desensitize it. So it's a slow approach to desensitizing the process for a person who has a high anxiety level. Sure. Step by step. All right. There's a lot of good information here, a lot of good stuff. Listen, the podcast, you can find the whole thing if you just tuned in of hearing from Bob Zacchio from Project Live. How do you approach and dealing um, with these struggles that are weighing on our emotions, whether someone already is dealing with mental illness or for many of us, just our anxiety levels are higher uh, and we're away from one another. Find ways of how you can safely, in your context, keep the community going. Don't just surrender, just say, we'll get back at it in six months once we have a vaccine. Stop. Do not walk in fear. We can do this. Keep the relationship there. And like Bob was just saying, step, do baby steps so people feel comfortable with it, but do it. All right, everyone. We'll be back here next Friday. Bob, thank you so much. In the show notes, we're going to tell everyone where to find you, how to support you, how to give you millions of dollars for you to open up 85 different <laughs> locations across the world. We love you so much. And we hope to see you on the show soon, brother. Thank you, my friends. All right, peace.